You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast, a podcast for psychotherapy group practice owners where you learn the business side of running a group practice. I'm your host, Maureen Werbach. Welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. I'm your host, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is an EHR that I've been using for around six years in my group practice. If you're a group practice and you're using another EHR that you're not loving, or you're a new group practice owner who hasn't yet jumped into the EHR bandwagon, I suggest trying out Therapy Notes. If you go to www.therapynotes.com forward slash r forward slash the group practice exchange, you can get two free months instead of the usual one free month to try it out. So this episode, I want to talk about onboarding and the first 90 days of employment for any new person that you have. Um, I've talked in the past about what my onboarding coordinator position looks like and the different things that you want to make sure that you're training your new staff on. And today I just want to jump in really quickly and talk about those first 90 days and what they look like and how to make sure that you're really being intentional about continuing employment for all of your staff before that 90-day mark is up. Um, It's something that I'm noticing most of us not focusing on. We all have heard this quote, um, hire slow, fire fast. And I think most of us would agree that we fall into the camp of either hiring fast or hiring slow, but also firing really slow. We give lots of chances. We give the benefit of the doubt. We may have a hard time communicating what our needs are or when we are feeling like a clinician or an admin is not doing what we need them to do. And we keep people on much longer than we should. One of the things that I learned from the Radical Candor book that I had read last year, and I've talked a lot about it, a lot about the book, is um, the idea that letting someone go isn't always a bad thing, and that it's our responsibility as a leader and as a group practice owner to um, set your staff up for success. And sometimes the combination of the things that you expect from your staff or the things that I expect in my practice don't align with what that clinician or that admin or staff member can do. And so sometimes having a candid conversation with that person and saying, look, these are the things that I'm expecting and consistently you're not able to do it. I think that uh, the combination of what we're needing and what you can offer don't align or don't match up and really doing the work at having that conversation with them and even helping them find a position that is a better suit for them. It might be giving a recommendation to another place that you know operates a little differently than you um, that is a better fit for the way that the style of how that person works or the way that person works. It Termination doesn't always have to be about um, something negative, like letting them go because they're not doing what they should and feeling angry and resentful. It can also, if you're doing it well, can mean that you're really seeing that the combination of the practice and that person don't line up and that keeping them there expecting or wishing or hoping that they kind of turn around at some point is really a failure on our part as a business owner. And it really is setting them up for failure as a person in your practice. And so sometimes um, using that 90-day mark can be a really good way to, one, make sure that 
you're holding yourself accountable to really doing all you can to get set them up to succeed in your practice, but also to sort of rip that bandaid off if you're realizing that that person is just not working it out in your place. Um, I love the idea that was mentioned before of having conversations with them and letting them know that it's it's not necessarily about them, but that it's about the combination of what your expectations are and what they are able and willing to do. And that um, even going so far as to offer alternative options, whether it's within your practice, um, shifting a job title or, or even making recommendations out in the community to another place that might be better suited or aligned for what they're looking for. It's a great way to keep the positive relationship going, but it's also a way to step into leadership and do it in a way that's maybe a little bit different than what you're used to. So that being said, Um, Let's jump into a few-minute conversation about the onboarding and 90-day process. So as most of you know, I am all for having someone who can play the role of an onboarding coordinator or something along those lines, whatever you want to call it. I love seeing how creative we all get as group practice owners with the titles of our positions. I have my person who is a clinician who is amazing at just doing the work and doing the work right and being able to teach others to do it. Because it's not always about doing the work. It's also about can you teach others to do that work? Um, and, And she's really great at that. And so in those first 90 days, her role is really to be the point of contact for that new clinician and go through a sort of training checklist, um, going through that employee manual, helping them get their bio put together, getting them added to our little specialties uh, list. As If you go to my website, because we have so many therapists, we have a clinician filter tool um, that uh, group practice owners seem to be obsessed about. If you're interested, you can shoot me an email and I can let you know who did mine. Um, but it's a little filter tool that clients can use to see what combination of specialties that they're looking for in a therapist, which therapist that actually is. So um, she helps that get them set up with all the specialties that they have on that little spreadsheet. She does things like making sure that they're in our Google Drive folder and in the appropriate folders that they need to be in that they have um, business cards that they have set up to our email and our um, all-call technologies, which is our phone lines that we use, extensions that we use, keys, all that fun stuff. But then she dives into the training piece. And one of the things that I remember reading a few years ago was for every five minutes of work, you should be training for 20 minutes. And I can say uh, that with almost 100% accuracy that most of us aren't doing that. If you think about a five-minute task, which might be um, sending an email, that we're not going over 20 minutes how to send an email, right? We're saying, just go to Google, put in your password, this is your password, and send that email. Um, Or how to send a fax or um, using therapy notes or whatever EHR it is that you're using, or how to send a secure email if you use Virtrue. Most of us show them one time and then expect that they know how to do it. And I've really been trying to work at holding myself accountable and also making sure that anyone who does trainings in my practice goes by the, for every five minutes of work, you're going to have to do a training of around 20 minutes, which means that a 40-hour work work week, if it's an admin, let's say, who's doing a lot of different tasks, that could essentially be um, four times as much. So 40, 80, oh, horrible with this, 160 hours worth of training for a 40-hour work week. 
and most of us don't look at it like that. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, one of the things that's really important for us is that we're setting our staff up for success. And when we aren't doing an appropriate amount of training and really prioritizing the importance of training and really being truly available and all eyes on that person and distraction free that we're setting, we're setting them up for failure and we're setting ourselves up to be upset and frustrated. Um, when it, at the end of the day ends up probably being our fault. And that's one of the reasons why I brought on an onboarding coordinator who could really prioritize that time to training every new person that gets brought in on all of the things. I mean, the manual, every part of the manual she goes through, the operations and employee manual, how to do different things in therapy notes and in our email system and in our how to listen to our phone calls and how to go through the back end of our all-call technologies to be able to call clients using the phone line through their cell phone, different things that take a little bit of time to learn. But the second piece is, so we do the training, right? But then we still have some time in that 90 days. And this is where things tend to fall through too, is you need to make sure that you have some sort of process for connecting with that therapist throughout the weeks, throughout those first 90 days. Because it isn't a matter of training them and then kind of uh, leaving them alone having our admin person schedule appointments and waiting for them to come to us if they have questions. Really, the way clinicians feel like they're being taken care of and that they stay is that they are being really taken care of throughout the throughout those first 90 days and obviously, of course, beyond that. Um, and so how we have it set up, and this structure can look different for everyone, is we have it set up that our onboarding coordinator knows when that clinician's first appointment is, when that first appointment gets scheduled, that first ever appointment in our practice for that clinician, our intake person who schedules it will CC our onboarding coordinator and say, hey, person, um, this is your first appointment. It's scheduled for next Tuesday at 8. This is the presenting issues for that person. And um, so glad to have you on the team. And that gives uh, a notification to our onboarding coordinator to check in with her and ask, are there, is there anything, you know, that you're needing support with before you have that first session? And then on the day of the session, um, that person, our onboarding coordinator, make sure that they're either there before the appointment time to kind of walk them through, make sure they're just there for physical presence or because we have a lot of locations. So she might be in a different location on the day that that person is starting to see clients. Um, she makes sure that she's available by phone and is actually checking in. Um, one of the things that I noticed was just telling someone we're there and let us know if we have, if you have any questions or if you need any feedback or anything at all, I'm here isn't enough. A lot of people, um, are going to not want to bother you or bug you, or they think they have it. Um, and that still isn't like presence. It's still not true availability. And so um, what we did was shift to really holding our onboarding coordinator accountable to really just being there, um, whether that's physically or doing a quick Zoom meeting right before, or even sending a quick text message before saying, good luck, I'm here, let me know if you have any questions, and then uh, sending a text after and saying, how was that first uh, session, how did it go, and do you want to get on a quick phone call, and I'll walk you through kind of the process of, you know, rescheduling that client or making sure the intake paperwork is in the correct place or making sure that you took the payment and applied it right, whatever that is. It's really, you know, being um, the person to initiate that versus waiting for the clinician to ask questions. And then beyond that, 
is um, making sure that every single week that your or your onboarding coordinator, whoever's really in charge of those first 90 days, is checking in consistently and, and not waiting, again, not waiting for that person to send an email or reach out to you and say, hey, I have a question, but to say, hey, it looks like you have four people scheduled this week. That's awesome. How are you feeling? How is it? How are your first few clients? Is there anything that I can help you with? That kind of thing. It lets that person know that you're thinking about them and it's also holding them front and center. And then moving on to getting towards you know the end of those first 90 days, around day 80, I like to sit down with my onboarding coordinator and the supervisor um, for that person and say, how have things been going? Have you noticed, you know, are, are there, have there been common struggles that are going on with that person? How have the conversations been throughout those 90 days if there's a struggle or something that you're noticing not going on? Um, and we sit down and we have a very intentional conversation about what the fit is. You know, is this person really fitting in with the practice? Are they connecting with our mission and our values? Are they um, doing the work that they need to be doing? Are they uh, sticking with the timeframes for getting notes done on time? How is their overall uh, demeanor in the practice and connection with the other staff? We look at it really from a comprehensive place and we make an intentional decision and say, this person's a great fit, working really well. You know, there might be one or two struggles here, but totally doable struggles that we that we're working on with that person. Um, I'd love to you know continue having this person on the staff. I think they're a great um, a great addition to the team. Or you know I've had a handful of conversations with this person. They seem to be really struggling with um, you know seeing more than a couple people in a in a day or their retention. They seem to be losing a lot of clients. I've had a discussion with them. Uh, about this three times in the past month, and it seems like um, they're not quite getting it. Um, I've, you know, done some training, X, Y, and Z, whatever that is. But, you know, through that conversation, they might say, you know, it sounds like, it seems like they're really struggling. And you can then make a real decision about whether to keep them on. And one of the things is, like I said in the beginning, is we tend to keep people on longer than we should because we feel bad and we're really empathic and um, we hope that they change and um, we don't like to do hard things. But it only gets harder with time. It's much easier to let someone go who's not a great fit at months one, two, two and a half, three than it is to let someone go at year one, year one and a half um, when they won. have different expectations on the practice because they're not new. They have relationships with the staff that, uh, whether positive or negative, can can really alter the culture of the practice. Um, and it overall, like I mentioned initially, is you're you haven't done then if that's if it's grown to that point all that year year and a half, you haven't done the work on your end as a leader or whoever is leading those people in your practice. You haven't done the work to. Um, hold yourself accountable and making sure that you're having those hard conversations and that you're really working at under the lens of um, how can I help them succeed here? Not how can I get people to do what they're supposed to do here, but how can I help them succeed in my practice? Given that my practice has these policies or these procedures, how can I help these people in the practice succeed? And like I said, even great therapists might not be a great fit for a, for a practice. And so I guess I want to end this quick tip of the day being a little longer than a quick tip is that, you know, getting really intentional about what those first 90 days look like and making an intentional decision at the end of those 90 days to continue employment with that person um, or to end that relationship versus 
um, kind of doing it like lackadaisical where, you know, something big happens and finally you're, you're like, I, I need to let this person go. Um, hopefully this was a helpful just chat, an internal dialogue in my head about those first 90 days and the idea of intentionality behind continuing employment versus having it be an assumption that it just happens and that if something negative happens, that's the only time we think about should this person be here or not. I really love the idea of, you know, having a very specific set of um, expectations for yourself and your leadership team in those first 90 days to make sure that every person who is in your practice was actually thought about beyond the interview process and was thought about and, and, and a conscious decision was made that that person was a great fit for your practice. I think that does wonders for a group culture, but also does wonders for having a good set of clinicians or admin staff that are truly a fit for you and your practice and vice versa. All right, guys, have a great day and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. We'll see you next time.